I'm Stacy Gross, and this is Two Moms Day Drinking. On April 8th, 2007, Emily Eggleston claimed her first day of sobriety, but she'd given up a lot for it. At 30 years old, Emily called her parents to tell them that her marriage was over, she'd quit her job, and worst of all, that she was drinking again. Through the process of fixing up a house in her hometown, a two-year project that she completed with her father, she also fixed herself. Now, in her 12th year of sobriety, Emily reflects on the things she's learned from addiction, as well as from recovery, and how those lessons prepared her for the greatest challenge of all, motherhood. That's today on Two Moms Day Drinking. Emily Eggleston is the mother of two boys. She's also the wife of Commissioner Jeff Eggleston, who happens to be my boss. And I started off by asking her to tell me a little bit about her recovery story. My recovery story. So, um, April 8th, this April 8th, I'll have 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Sober. No. Congratulations. Drink or drug. I know. 12 years. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and it's crazy because when I was, when I turned 30, I had, I had moved away when I was 19, moved to Cleveland Mm -hmm. and, um, had a lot of experiences. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As of, you do. <laughs> yes, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Right. And um, but it's funny because when I came back, I turned 30, I was divorced in Cleveland, called my mom, quit my job, called my parents, told them that I quit my job, mm-hmm. um, that my marriage wasn't working out, and that I was drinking again. Mm-hmm. And my car- parents drove out to Cleveland and brought me home. Um, the house I had went to foreclosure Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was a wreck 30 years old. I'm back home, you know, no job, divorced, drinking again, starting completely over. Yeah. yeah. And, and the exciting thing is, is I'm 41 now. And honestly, it was about two years it took from being what I feel like was rock bottom. Mm -hmm. You know, I had family that loved me and Mm -hmm. was there for me, but I felt like I lost everything. Yeah. And in two years, of recovery and working on myself and doing all the things that I needed, all the right things that I needed to do and quitting drinking. Yeah. You know, I ended up meeting someone, you know, getting pregnant and then getting married. (laughs) And, um, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing to me how quickly life turned around for me Mm -hmm. when I stopped drinking and Mm -hmm. started doing the next right thing. Yeah. So that's, I know I love that answer actually. Um, do you, do you think that, do you think that one of those two components is more important? Because I know a lot of people who have stopped drinking, but feel like, or stopped using or stopped whatever their issue is, but they don't feel like things are turning around. How much effort do you feel like you had to put into finding out what the next right thing was and actively like making that a major part of your, you know, cognitive day? Um, a lot, a lot. Like, um, I changed my entire Mm -hmm. life, my belief system, my, um, and it, it, it wasn't overnight right. and it seems scary because when people hear that, yeah. they think, well, there's no way there's I no can way do, do that. that. And the thing is, is it's, so what I did was I, I looked out and I found um, a recovery group in the area that I knew and I started going to meetings mm-hmm. and I found someone who I wanted, I wanted what they had. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I asked her to sponsor me mm-hmm. and she started like, walking me through work, working with me on how to make these changes. So it was incremental changes. I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, 
And quite honestly, I'm grateful because when I moved home with my parents, my main goal was to move out. I couldn't mm-hmm. live with my parents. You know, I'm 30 years yeah. old. I need to be on my own. Yeah. So I bought this this little house in Sheffield as is. Yeah. And I thought, just some paint, you know, yeah. we'll clean it up. Well, the house needed everything. Oh, it needed, no. yeah, new windows, new roof, oh, new no. plumbing, new electrical, everything. everything. And so it, and I didn't have money. So right. it took me two years with my dad working on that house. But the fortunate thing was, is it made me stay, which is something I've never done. I've always jumped to the next thing. Right. And it made me stay. And so I stayed at my parents' house for two years while I worked on that house, all the while working on myself. And, um... Jesus, you could write a memoir. That is a memoir. That is a memoir. I'm telling you right now. I haven't haven't thought about it. (laughs) The nice part about being sober for so long is you don't think about it that much. You know, it starts becoming just your way of life. And... And I just, um, so I, you know, I started working on myself, looking at, because it's not, you know, I drank Mm -hmm. just like everybody, but I started to self-medicate. Right. And so it was like, whether it was social anxiety, whether, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all different kinds of things I would drink to cover that up. And so you stop drinking, Mm -hmm. you have to replace it with something if you don't figure that stuff out. And so... You know, whether it's drugs, whether it's eating, you know, men or, you know, whatever your vice is. And so I started working on that, like um, looking at, you know, my decisions I've made, Mm -hmm. you know, what my part is in things. And um, those can be really hard things to look at, honestly, too. To look at (laughs) the the whole when you hear about, you know, making amends, going around and like contacting people that you had wronged and be like, listen, I screwed up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know that whole life thing I yeah. messed up? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but what a freeing experience, yeah. you know? And yeah. so when I came home, I remember being like I wouldn't go on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't Facebook was relatively new. Yeah. And I remember peeking at people on Facebook mm-hmm. and everyone was getting married and had kids yeah. and I was a wreck. And, yeah. and so I like I am not gonna go on Facebook and I would hide from people in the store and over time, after facing all of these fears and things, it I wasn't afraid anymore. Yeah. You know, it was like it is. This is who I am, and and so little by little, I was able to see people and be like, you know, this is Ryan. This is how I'm doing because I wasn't living badly yeah. anymore. I was trying. Yeah, and, yeah. Know. That legitimacy that comes with being able to say, hey, this is my past, and this is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of empowering. No matter what your past has been, if you are actively working hard, mine was never alcohol. Mine was always opiates. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my issue. And I can never, you know, I can never take another opiate again unless I have someone that I can hand the bottle to and yeah. say, give me one every four hours, you know? Yeah. Um, I enjoy opiates. <laughs> I enjoy opiates. <laughs> I <do. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's just that ability to sort of, whenever I would start looking at those things that I was not participating or performing well. Yeah. The first thing was like, oh, I don't want to think about this. Let's yeah. take a perk set, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you do that yeah. for not, for many years. Yeah. And then you, there's a lot of stuff you've yeah. stopped and you haven't dealt with. Yeah. And so, and that's what's so difficult when you quit drinking, mm-hmm. when you quit using drugs, it's there to mask these feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And suddenly you're raw, you're mm-hmm. sober, you have no defenses yeah. lined up and it's like, Bleh. here we oh, are. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. deal with it. And, yeah. and it, I think that it scares so many people into mm-hmm. going back out. Like, I yeah. can't do this. I can't deal with it. Yeah. And even though I said I changed everything, it was in pieces right. over time, little by little. And you know, I I had tried to quit drinking for 
I went to rehab when I was 25. Yeah. I turned 25 in rehab. Uh, I know. <laughs> and, um, oh, you should keep Yeah, there's Mr. Bill. Um, <laughs> I turned 25 in rehab, and I didn't get sober until I was 30. Yeah. And so for five years, I was in and out, in and out, yeah. in and out, and um, about it happening overnight. Yeah. And, so, and so much of it was scary. You know, yeah. people would be like, you know, you have to stop drinking forever. Yeah. You have to stop, you know, you have to do this. Yeah. You have to do this. You have to make amends. You have to. And I was like, there's no way I can do yeah. all this stuff. And so I tried to do it piecemeal and it mm-hmm. didn't work. Right. But I got educated. I started learning. Like I started listening to what they said yeah. and then I would go back out and drink yeah. and I'd be like, oh, oh this, oh, is, this is easier. <laughs> were, I was, well, they, was, they were right. They would yeah. say, you know, if you drink, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, I can control it. Yeah. And, um, Sometimes it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of people. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody in recovery who's been like, oh, one day I just quit drinking and then I was done Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. I don't know anybody who can say that. Or I stopped taking pills or I stopped whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. You know, everybody, it seems like you, you get a few steps out and then you go back and then, you know, you, you have to. Yeah. You got to tip your small gains. Toe in the water. (laughs) Like, all right. So what is this? Yeah. Yeah. So five years in and out, in and out, Mm -hmm. trying it. And the only thing I learned, one of the things that I learned in the five years was it was miserable. It was miserable when I was drinking and Mm -hmm. it was miserable when I stopped. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst place for me to be in because it was like, what do I do now? I can't drink anymore. And when I stop, it's absolutely miserable. miserable. And the difference this time was... I stopped playing with it. You know, I 100% jumped in and I was like, I have no other options. I mean, you know, the only other option is killing myself. (laughs) Yeah. And what a horrible option. And so I thought, I'm going to do what people say Mm -hmm. to do rather than, okay, okay, that worked for you. I'm going to do it this way, Mm -hmm. you know, and I started to do what they said to do. And I remember when I said that changing everything about yourself it was six months in. I was, all I was doing was working, going to my house and mm-hmm. working on it at night with my dad, going home and meeting with my sponsor and working mm-hmm. on myself and, yeah. um, and meeting with different people in, in recovery. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember it was around six months when it hit me that I hadn't thought about drinking and yeah. I couldn't remember the last time that I hadn't thought about drinking. Mm-hmm. And the whole five years leading up to that stopping and starting, yeah. I thought about it every, every single minute. day, yep. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was my destiny. That, yeah. All right. If I drink, I'm miserable. If I don't drink, I'm thinking about it constantly. Yeah. And I wasn't. And I don't, you yeah. know, it's not even a, you know, it's yeah. not even something that's in the forefront of my mind. Yeah every day it's like yeah. learning a new skill it's like learning how to do something or learning how to i mean it's a it's a stupid cliche but learning how to ride a bike i mean eventually you look at yourself and you realize i've ridden two miles and i don't even remember yeah having to balance or having to pedal it's just what you do it's just it's natural yeah yeah it's exactly naturally that's good at what point in your recovery <laughs> were you when you had your first child i had owen oh, my first child when i was 32 two. Mm-hmm. So I stopped drinking when I was 30. I met my husband right before, well, I think we must've been like a year and a half sober mm-hmm. when I met my husband. Um, also through the same, <laughs> the same yeah. recovery people, mutual friends. Yeah. And I met him and we had a whirlwind, amazing <laughs> six month uh, courtship yeah. until I found out I was pregnant. Oh. And, and the whole funny thing about this is he was the first person that I, I dated, um, sober, yeah. like truly dated. That must've been a really, uh, I can't even put a word to it that I'm awkward, uncomfortable, but also exciting yes. type of experience. So, I, mean, I was 
30. He was 32. Mm -hmm. And for me, he had been sober longer. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was, I mean, I felt like I was 14 again. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was nervous. You know, Mm -hmm. I always drank before. I always drank when I met anybody. So I couldn't drink beforehand. I had to meet this guy cold turkey. Straight up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And be real. And I was awkward and uncomfortable. But on the other hand, it was so sweet to have that experience rather than just being, you know. Right just everything happening to me, you know, wild and yeah. crazy drinking, you know, like I think you kind of tell yourself, well, they're not going to like me unless I'm a little bit, yeah, uh, you know, but to have someone accept you and love you and want to be around in you. all your quirkiness yeah. and yeah. awkwardness and yeah. And so it was so exciting. And the funny thing about getting pregnant within six months is this was the first relationship on both our parts where we were really, truly trying to take it slow and do it old school, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, after the first date, we didn't move in with each other. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so we're like, we're taking it slow. six months, we weren't living together. Like, I mean, we were really yeah. trying to be responsible and yeah. I find out I'm pregnant, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I know, I was like, oh, <laughs> and, um, but, but it, it. It turned out beautifully. I mean, he ended up moving in. And I I credit, honestly, that's hard. When you don't know someone that well and you oh, end up boy. pregnant and then you're trying to live together for the yeah. first time and you're pregnant and emotional and holy crap. <laughs> and I, I absolutely attribute being sober part of the reason why we both were able to get through because there was a lot of tension yeah. and like so many times when I wanted to just run. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. This is I can't much. do this. Yeah. And... And it helped doing all that self-reflection, all that, you know, looking at yourself, what is your part in it? What can you do better? Right. You know, and to have both of you doing that. Two people engaged. That must, I mean, that's such a strong relationship to have that common goal because it's such an enormous thing to have to accomplish. And you have to do it on yourself. Like I can't make him look into himself, you know, and, and see his part in things. And, um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that that's been a huge help yeah. for us. <laughs> <laughs> so you had two years of active recovery under mm-hmm. your belt when you had your first child. I did, but I can tell you I had a C-section with Owen, uh-huh. my first one, and <clears throat> um, completely sober, completely grateful, loving yeah. life sober, never thinking about it. They sent me home with Oxycontin. Oh, no. And Oxycodone. Yeah. I don't know if Oxycontin's like old school. I, don't, I think Oxycontin is the uh, brand name for... Um, like a little bit stronger than Percocet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but they, they gave me that and I came home with it. And I remember not even being worried about it because, mm-hmm. you know, I was so not there. I just yeah. had a baby like, yeah. Oh. And, um, I took it for a couple of days when I was truly in pain and mm-hmm. was fine. Didn't think anything of it. And then I still remember I took it. I must've been starting to feel better. I mm-hmm. took it and I was sitting in the living room and Jeff was in there. I even think my parents were, and it was just kind of like, you know, and yeah. I was like, I felt fuzzy and yeah. kind of, and I was like, this is nice. <laughs> and I looked at my watch to see what I could take the next one. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, where did this come from? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I mean, not even thinking about it. And for me, that was such a, uh, like an eye opening aha right. moment of like, I'm never cured. Yeah. Like I'm not, this never goes away. Yeah. This it's, never goes it's away. There. It's in me, you know, yeah. because it's easy to tell yourself, no, I've got two years. I've got five years. I've got I've 10 years. I've been doing this. I've got this. This is all yeah, good. My life's different. I'm a different mm-hmm. person. I can do this now. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it was a really good reminder of like, I can't. That's, and that's, I think one of the keys that people miss when they talk about is, is, is addiction a disease? 
And I think people don't realize that neurochemical response mm-hmm. that you have, it changes you. It changes your entire behavior. Your everything goes toward, you know, maintaining that or feeling it again, unless you're so active in your recovery. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to get hijacked by one slip, yeah. you know, and it, you know, yes, it's a behavior. The behaviors that are present with addiction are not great and they are choices, but they're not choices that you would normally make. And if you have the support system and the infrastructure to mm-hmm. stay sober, as opposed to go back, if you don't have that infrastructure, you can really, yeah, really have a hard time just hijacking your own brain back. So how do you think that it would have been different, your relationship with your kids, if you hadn't had the sobriety that you had under your belt, or if, if you weren't as engaged with it or committed? Still sober, just not as engaged. Yeah. Um, I think so. Sobriety first was the start of teaching me about being less selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, I was selfish to the extreme. Mm-hmm. So sobriety started to teach me that. I had yeah. no idea until I had kids. <laughs> and then the, you know, then the kids taught me how yeah. to be unselfish. That's a, that's a tough lesson that's, when you have yeah. kids. I mean, there's no, there's no way of thinking of yourself. It's yeah. always them when they're so little. Yeah. Like, um, anyway, if I wasn't actively working on it, I think... I know for myself, um, there's anxiety and depression mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah. Um, I take, and, and I plan to take for as long as it's working. <laughs> as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, depression yeah. medication and, yeah. um, and it helps. It stabilizes me mm-hmm. when I'm not on it. Um, it's just, I'm lost. I'm yeah. lost in my head. I can't yeah. focus on them. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think that I would still be a good mom. I, mm-hmm. I, make sure that they were doing well, they were right. clothed, they were dressed, they were fed, they, you know, um, but the being there, being right. present, right. um, yeah. not being as, um, impatient or, um, I don't think that I, I know I wouldn't have the depths that I have yeah. now if yeah. I hadn't have really worked on myself, you know, right. um, I think that so, especially with them being special needs, which we haven't right. talked about, yeah. both my kids have autism, yeah. um, the special needs aspect of them. I think there would be a lot more impatience yeah. and like, you know, pull yourself up or your bootstraps, yeah. suck it up, suck get up, over it, it, that yeah. type of stuff. And I've been a lot more sensitive because of going through this yeah. and going through a struggle and knowing that anxiety and depression feeling. Um, it gives you a little bit more empathy. Yeah. I, and people don't think, people don't think that when you have a child, it's going to be hard for you to empathize with this person that you just created. Mm-hmm. Like you made this person, mm-hmm. this is your child. You're not going to have a hard time empathizing with them. Oh my God. There are days where I'm like, what is even wrong with you? <laughs> what is, you are possessed by the devil. Like what is happening? Yeah. It's that's really so hard funny, for me. Cause that's exactly, everyone kept telling me when I was, and this is totally sidebar now, but having my kids, you know, when you talk to any mom, oh, when I saw you, I just yes, fell in love and yes. all this. That horrible feeling because I had them. Yeah. And it was so good to have them out of me. Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, it's oh, so painful. And there he is. And 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 he was red and crumbly with mm-hmm. stuff. And and mm-hmm. I didn't feel that, that instant that connection. That instant like, oh. Yeah. But fascinating. And this is what I think happens. When I look back now, yeah. I'm filled with such love. Yeah. And like this this moment where I can see why people remember it that way. Yeah. Because I think about how magical that yeah. moment was, but in the moment, I mean, it's yeah. freaky. You're having yeah. a baby torn out of your body yeah. strapped to a table yeah. because of C-section. Yeah, mine too. I have and mine. you know, you can't hold them and everyone's standing around like, congratulations, yeah. Bob. And you're like, yay. Yeah, this is my so back up, please. <laughs> it's, it's Put my weird. shit back together yes. now, please. Can you see 
my, you know, my guts. This is weird. <laughs> so you had your first child um, two years into recovery. Mm-hmm. What have you had conversations with them about addiction and recovery and your specific recovery? I have. Um, how yeah. does that go for you? Like how, how do you have those conversations? Because I think a lot of parents and you know, my situation, you know, my situation is mm-hmm. different, but there's still big conversations that I need to have with my kids. And there's really no one you can go to and say, how do I, how do I teach my kids about this? Yeah. So what kinds of things have been helpful for you as you've gone through the years? How old are you? Um, seven, seven and eight. Okay. The other one, the my oldest is going to turn nine. Oh wow! This like just in December. In December. Yeah. So seven and nine, yeah. basically. And um, I have. I've talked to him. I believe um that I, I want everything to be out in the open. Yeah. If my kids ask, I'm one of those weird parents who yeah, yeah. you know vagina penis. Yeah, absolutely, about absolutely. <laughs> and um. And just, but everything's on the table. Yeah. If they ask, then they're ready to hear it. You yeah. know, maybe not a hundred percent, but in a I way. I love that. That's a really good way to say it because I feel the same way. If they have the cognition and they're developmentally ready to say, I'm curious about this, then you better be ready to give them yeah. all the information they want. Yeah. You know? And, um, and then of course there's stuff like alcoholism, drug addiction mm-hmm. that they don't even know to ask right. about. But the thing is, um, I felt from the beginning, um, and, and what's interesting is recovery sobriety has taught mm-hmm. me this Yeah. prior. This is something that would be different prior to recovery. I was very closed, you mm-hmm. know, like I would assess how everyone wanted me to look and behave yep. and I would behave and look that way Yeah. after getting sober and working on myself. I realized that like, if I'm going to be any, if I'm going to be real at all yeah. in my head and at home and in the quiet, then I've right. got to start showing like all of me to right. people or else I'm just going to stay this anxiety riddled yeah. mess hiding at home all the time. Yeah. Um, so, and part of that realization was as my kids get older and I was raised this way too, my mm-hmm. mom was very open. Yeah. But as my kids got older, I wanted them to know, yeah. you know, this is life. Like, you know, if someone dies, they go to the funeral. Yeah. The animals die. You know, they yeah. know. You yeah. know, the, the dead deer on the side of the road yeah. is dead and yeah. not, in fact, sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to make up a little fairy tale about yeah. it. We can just be real. Yeah. Although we do pretend about yeah. the same <laughs> Yeah, we do, too. <laughs> There's still, magic. I think mine are at the age now, too. They're like, some. hey, mom, some kids don't believe in Santa. What do you think of that? And I'm like, I don't know. I know know. it's it's a tough one because I have this whole honesty above all else. Um, but there's magic and I hope that when I explain that to them, they'll they'll work with me. Yeah. Um, understand. Yeah. Um, so my kids, I don't, so it's always been talked about Mm -hmm. among them, but I specifically have talked to each of them. My oldest son doesn't respond at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a difficult, he has a hard time communicating. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure how much he's taking in. Right. My youngest son is extremely verbal <laughs> and he, we were talking about, I, my sobriety, I had 10 years. So he would have been five at the mm-hmm. time. So I had 10 years and I said, I hadn't drank in 10 years because yeah. we were, it was on the calendar. Yeah. We were celebrating. And he's like, if you don't drink, you would die. <laughs> I'm like, how That's true that is. And it hit me. I'm like, oh, and I said, well, honey, um, I said, I haven't drank alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, then what's alcohol? Yeah. You know, and I yeah. said, well, it's a grown up drink. Um, it's like beer or wine or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a drink when you get older that you can drink. And I said, and it has alcohol in it. And 
Um, and I, I really want to impress upon them as well that it's not evil. Yeah. Alcohol isn't evil. You're right. not bad if right. you drink alcohol. Right. Um, and we don't get into the drugs, but even experimenting right. with drugs, it's like, you know, it's, you're not bad. It's, right. You know, there's the behavior and you are not the same thing. So yeah, the behavior yeah. may be less than ideal, but you are not a bad person. Yeah. And the majority of the people in the world can drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think it's the majority. Maybe there's like, <laughs> half the people Maybe in the world. underreported a little bit. <laughs> can drink responsibly. And there's nothing wrong with having wine and relaxing at right. the end of the day, going out with friends and having some beers. Right. And I don't ever want them to feel there's a stigma. Like it's right. horrible. So I explained that there is, that it's okay. Um, for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. there are people that are allergic to it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I explained that his mom and dad are both allergic to it. And mm-hmm. I said, and that, that means that we have this gene mm-hmm. that, you know, is inherited from our family members mm-hmm. that makes us allergic to alcohol. So when we drink alcohol, I said, it makes us feel good and we want to drink more and we mm-hmm. want to drink more and we can't stop. Yeah. And I said, you know, and it makes us very sick and mm-hmm. it may, it's very hard to quit. And so I've explained to him that you may very well have this allergy to it as mm-hmm. well. And so I want you always to know that, you know, someday if, when you're old enough and you do try it, mm-hmm. um, if you notice that you like it more than your friends, that you can't put it down as yeah. much, that you're thinking about it too much, that you might have the allergy as well, mm-hmm. you know, and I want you to talk about it. Yeah. And I also want them to know about these different recovery options that are yeah. out there so that... You know, I can't control what they're yeah. going to do when they get older, but I want them to know that there's options, that this happens, that, yeah. you know. Yeah. You can't protect them from life, but you can at least set them up with some good tools, yeah. you know. Yeah. What do you think that your response is going to be? Like, like if they do have issues, if they do have issues with drugs and alcohol or any kind of addiction, like, we, I'm always like, okay, well, if this happens, I'm going to be calm and we're going to have the conversation. <laughs> but what do you think, like, your honest first initial, even if you filter it, what do you think your first reaction is going to be? Is it going to stress you out? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> so it's interesting because I do, I, I, I've become friends with a lot of different people in recovery mm-hmm. and they're all, I want to say all walks of life. They're in all, what is that? Stages of, yeah. the, of their life. So, um, I, you know, there's several that are mom, that are moms of young kids, yeah. several with moms that are, or a mom with the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also really good friends with a grandma. Oh, wow. Who's, yeah. yeah. And so the different stages and then all of them in various forms have yeah. some kind of struggle with this, yeah. you know, like the, the grandma, the daughters, the daughter's an alcoholic or addict and mm-hmm. you know, the teenagers are getting into it. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh yeah. So I'm always careful to not be like, Oh, I would definitely do yeah. this because I feel like karma's listening yeah. and they're going to be like, bam, mm-hmm. taking yep. notes. <laughs> yeah. Cause every time I try to act like I know something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like and the nice thing is, is as long as I'm still in sobriety and I'm still surrounded by people in recovery, the freedom of knowing, like I can handle it. Mm-hmm. I can handle whatever comes my way because it's right. not just me, you know, yeah. it's, it's the other people that I've relied on that yeah. know me really well. You know, it's, um, you, I mean, you spent 12 years building up that infrastructure of a sport system. Yeah. Which, and, and it's wonderful because yeah. it is a, a comforting yeah. feeling. Um, I do feel like, um, if they, if they come to me with mm-hmm. any of this, if they came to me, it'd be wonderful yeah. because it's like, Oh, they're coming to yeah. me. We can work through this. Yeah. Um, the good part about being in recovery myself is, is I feel like I have a firm grasp of I can't change them. I yeah. can't make them. Working with women yeah. um, in recovery has really helped me see, like, 
I can be there to offer support and guidance, but it's all on you. It's all on the person. And if they don't want it, there is nothing I can do. I think that's harder when it's your own family. Yeah. But um, I've learned it with my husband. Yeah. You know, I want to point out, well, you should be doing this. Yeah. You should be doing that. And even when I do point it out, it's not good. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's good. not a good situation. Yeah. And he'll do it to me every now and then. And I'm just like, really? I know I, you did not just say yeah. that to me. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's just so funny. And, um, and so I feel like if they came to me, I think the harder question would be, what if I see it happening in their lives? And they're, and not, they're not addressing Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, praying, mm-hmm. <laughs> using my support system mm-hmm. to, you know, the same way I do with my husband. Like I, I let them know what I see or what I'm thinking or mm-hmm. people that I'm sponsoring. This is what I see. I see you heading towards this, Yeah, you know, and then you step back and pray and wait. And, yeah. And hope that so hard, so hard to even, so hard. I, I always said, and I, I had experiences with kind of controlling caregivers. And so I always said, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to let them do their own thing. And there are times where even tiny little things, I'm like, why are you doing it that way? I, you can't do it that way. I know. <laughs> it's decorating the Christmas tree. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> Everything is like in one corner on the bottom. <laughs> they go to bed and I rearrange. Yeah. Well, I just need to wait till they go to bed, but they go yeah. in the other room and I start rearranging and they'll come in and be like, why'd you move that one? Oh, I did. <laughs> I think you're mistaken. Yeah. You're gaslighting wrong. instantly. Gaslight the hell out of your kids. That's funny. That's my advice. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to, you've gotten to the point now where you're not thinking about as far as the bike analogy, you're not thinking about pedaling or balancing mm-hmm. or is that something that you still have to deal with a lot? It's funny. I don't, I don't think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's not at all in the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, like it used to be. Yeah. Um, but so because it's not mm-hmm. now I, um, I have to be cautious of what I guess like complacency. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the the hardest part is, is every now and then, especially when I'm going through hard times or really stressful times, mm-hmm. I feel jealous mm-hmm. or, um, um, jealous is a good word mm-hmm. of other people who can escape mm-hmm. and take a break. Yeah. I'll never get that. Yeah. And, um, there have been pinpoints in my sobriety where I felt like I wanted to drink mm-hmm. or use, mm-hmm. um, and, or anything. There are days any, where I'm like, just give me, put any substance yes, in front of me and yes, we're good to go. Pill. Let me <laughs> yeah. go to sleep, you know? And, um, because it's hard. Parenting is hard mm-hmm. and it's all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I constantly see these memes. I see different people posting on Facebook about, you know, oh, I'm home. I have my wine. Mm-hmm. And I feel sometimes like I would love to, have to just have some wine and, you know, zero, even get completely wasted yeah. one night. Yeah. And then wake up and be like, whoa, that was crazy. And then just Let's go on my day yeah Yeah. and I can't and there there's been a handful of times in my sobriety where I've really felt pissy like left out like that's not fair you know yeah not being and I've even had moments where I'm like you know I wonder if I could type of thing um but every single time that has happened to me it's about self-care it's about and that's a good that's a good place to ask what kinds of things have you found so you the wine or a beer mm-hmm. at the end of the day is not an option for you but every parent needs their thing to escape so right. what kinds of things have you found that have been helpful especially I'm, in those moments yeah i'm still not great at it because <laughs> i mean the good thing is is what in 11 11 12 years i've had a handful yeah. of moments yeah. those breaking points That's so really i must be doing thing. something yeah. yeah so so that is good it's not even yearly but um it, 
so self-care for me and it's tough. I laugh because it's really, really hard, but I need frequent breaks every week. And, um, in fact, daily. Now Mm -hmm. I can't get it daily every day. Um, that kid's getting older. It's getting a little easier. They're also home. So I homeschool. So building in breaks during the day, Mm -hmm. um, how do you get your kids to buy into, I'll say to mine, I need five minutes right now. And there, so if they hear that, it's like they want to be out there even more. Like I'll go outside. I do smoke cigarettes, so uh-huh. I'll go out and, and they'll be right out there with me, you know, mm-hmm. because they know that's my time where I'm trying to get away. Do you have any trouble with that with yours or are they like excited about their uh-huh. break for them too? Yeah, well, uh, screen time is a wonderful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And in fact, that's a struggle. That's a whole other podcast of holy crows. Oh, I love screen um, time, but when it's over, my kids are monsters. Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you get to the point where you don't get it over with because you just like, I can't handle I'm, it. I don't want to have that fight. So go ahead. And, and then there's over. zombies Ooh. and then the guilt. And then, yeah. And then yeah. you think you'll do better the next day. And they usually don't. <laughs> um, but anyway, so there's some nice things about autism, which we could go into as yeah. well. But um, the whole, they're very schedule driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say they both because both completely opposite yeah. personality wise, but just typically they're very schedule driven. And so on the, during the weekday, mm-hmm. it's wonderful because we get up, they can have their electronics when yeah. they get up um, because, you know, I'm getting up, um, yeah. I'm doing different stuff. It's usually what I'm trying to do yeah. my work, working out and stuff. Yeah. Um, we eat breakfast and then they get off the screens mm-hmm. and I have a schedule and they see, you know, it's school time. Yeah. Then we break for lunch. Mm-hmm. And they get some free time then, and then they do a little more school. And then once they're done with school, they get free time. Right. So we've had a lot of time where they haven't had, you know, and so, and they've been with me. And I think that's the difference where they've been with me all morning long. And it's like, okay, it's screen time. And it's like, bam, everybody's off to their own corners and we're ignoring each other. And so I'm lucky that way. Um, Definitely on the weekends, there's more. Mm -hmm. Um, My youngest son, I love him. He's a, he's a gabber. My oldest son, honestly, we're constantly trying to pull him out. Right. Come with us. Don't right. be part of with us. He's kind of on his own. <laughs> Eli, my youngest son, will follow me into the bathroom. And, you know, I'll be like, Eli, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. Oh, and yeah. so he'll go stand outside the door. Yeah. And he'll, like, look through the crap. I can see him peeking through the crap down underneath the bottom. He's not talking to me. And I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I will. We have, we have um, a double staircase. One in the kitchen, one in the living room. And if I have to walk by and he's like playing his game or he's in the living room, sometimes I'll go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, yeah. he's like, oh, mommy, mommy, mommy. And it's just like, and the hustle. stories at their age, at mine, at their age anyway, for me, their stories don't end. Yeah. It doesn't, it's like, and then, and then, and blah, and then they'll play the make it up. Yeah, yeah. Just to keep it going. Yeah. And then you and you tune out, and yeah. then you come to, and you're like, oh, they're asking me questions. Oh, they're giving me a quiz. I didn't know I wasn't ready for a quiz. They'll say to me, well, which one? Which what? Both. Yeah, totally both. Like absolutely both. all of them. <laughs> I can't choose. Do you think that it's different for moms and dads in recovery um, for women versus men? And I'm sure that the answer is yes. But like, in what ways do you think? Okay, so other than my husband, I've never mm-hmm. spent a lot of time talking to men about okay. their recovery, so maybe not, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Official disclaimer, but yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, like by far the number one thing when I get any woman in the program that has children is the absolute mother's guilt. Like yeah. this guilt. And and the thing is, is I see so many moms come in and you know, they're, they're down and out, they're feeling awful and they get hope and they start doing well. And you're yeah. seeing the light come back in their eyes. Yeah. 
And then almost all of them go through this spiraling depression of guilt. Like when, because like we said, you take away all that stuff that they were numbing themselves with. And finally, you know, you, you get past that few weeks, couple months, however long it takes of feeling good. I'm doing the right thing. And you get to that plateau where it's like, Oh, and you start looking at the stuff that you've done and right. the guilt that moms feel. And I get it because I feel guilt over some of the most ridiculous oh, I things I and the guilt that they feel. And um, I think that it's an absolute roadblock. And yeah. it's interesting because they feel guilty for the things they did when they were drinking. But that guilt is so powerful and shameful yeah. that rather than talking about it, mm-hmm. it's like they run and they start drinking yeah. again. And um, the other thing that I find with women, especially, and this is something that I don't see at all with men, mm-hmm. and I could be wrong, but the guilt um, going to meetings or meeting with different people, mm-hmm. um, because part of recovery is meeting with other people that are like you right. and talking about your story. Yeah. And in the beginning, it's important to go as yeah. often as possible. Yeah. And um, and men seem to grasp that they get it and they go they'll go every day they're meeting with people they're going out for coffee after meetings they're and they're really getting involved and i think the society in itself embraces that like look at you you're doing what you need to do a mom seen out three four five seven nights a week having coffee with friends having coffee with friends not doing recovery work but having yeah you know just hanging out with friends you know well that's weird and so the guilt of and I think this happens collectively. This is what I hear the most often is, you know, they're getting sober and they feel like they're making up for lost time. Mm-hmm. Like they're finally present. They can finally see their kids and they're like, I haven't been present in years yeah. and I want to be there for them. I want to make dinner. I want to yeah. like, suddenly they're like the super mom and they burn out, yeah. you know, because it's like, I'm going to be amazing. I'm yeah. going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, um, and it's all in, in trying to like get across, you know, you put, you work on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, your kids are fine. Make sure yeah. that they're, you know, but yeah. you work on yourself. Give yourself, you know, a few months mm-hmm. of solely working on and looking at yourself yeah. and, and giving yourself this time to go to these meetings and mm-hmm. do these different things for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can have a lifetime yeah. with your kids and you can, you know, get it all back. Right. But if you don't work on yourself and you just jump into, okay, I'm super mom, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, in a few weeks to a couple of months, you're going to most likely burn out. Yeah. And you'll start drinking again. And you're going to feel even worse. Yeah. You're going to feel even more guilty. Yeah. And so the kids see that and they think, oh, you know, like it's not yeah. permanent. And it's like yeah. um, the best gift that you can give them is consistent. Yeah. Even when it's not perfect, even if it's completely imperfect most of the time, if it's consistent, yeah, I feel like it's better than on and get off again. Yeah. All you or know? nothing. Yeah. Which is a huge, yeah. Yes. And that's, a, that's an important point to make too. You know, addiction and the behaviors that, maintain an, an addiction lifestyle are selfish ultimately selfish and um you know parenting you have to be completely selfless and it feels like at first in recovery you have to be completely selfless and so finding a healthy healthy balance between the selfishness that you need to have like yeah. there's healthy narcissism and there's healthy selfishness and you need to be selfish in a lot of ways to be healthy and, yeah. and well-functioning so striking that balance especially when you know you're in recovery and and you're learning not to be selfish. Yeah. I think it can be difficult, you know, yeah. it can be difficult to strike that balance. It is. Because, and even I'll hear people, I never was um, very religious. I'm not religious at all. In fact, I don't know much mm-hmm. about it. Um, but I do have um, a deep faith that I got from mm-hmm. being sober. And um, 
And when I'm talking to people about finding a faith, finding mm-hmm. something that they can believe in, yeah. um, it's so funny. One of the most common things that they always talk about is um, like suddenly they pray for everybody else yeah. and they never pray for themselves. Yeah. And I'm like, well, would you pray for yourself? Do you ask for help mm-hmm. for yourself? Well, you know, no, I do, you know, because they feel like there's a selfish component yeah. to it. And it's like, girl, pray for yourself. And I feel like that's, it's so true because um, you're feeling like you've been selfish. You've been spending all this time in yourself yeah. and now you're getting sober and you're shut, you know, yeah. And it's a, it's a fine balance, but that's why it's nice having a program and other healthy people to be like, it's okay. You know, come to the meeting. You can, you know, grab pizza and go home afterwards and, you know, something special or do a date night on Friday with your kids and have something to look forward to and then show up. And that's what they see. Like you're showing up. Yeah. It's not every night being there and making dinner for them. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't expect it. I think what there's so much guilt and so much, so such high and unreachable expectations for mothers as opposed to fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I know that this isn't the case for a lot of people, but if someone sees a father out being active and taking some time and being completely responsible alone mm-hmm. with one of their children, it's like a celebration and everybody's so excited and, yeah. and that's great. They should be, but they should be just as excited for the mom yeah. who's doing that yeah. every single day. You know, it yeah. shouldn't be just expected. It should be. Well, yeah. it, it almost feels more, there's more judgment mm-hmm. on, on moms. So, you know, like, and I think we talked about this, yeah. where a dad showed up with his kid at the bar mm-hmm. and like, everyone was like, yay, you know, look at them, you know, like, yeah. like a mother walks into a bar, I mean, even lunch yeah. with a child and yeah. it would just be like, what is yeah. she doing? Yeah. You know, and, you know, a dad's out with his kids in, in no jacket in the mm-hmm. winter and they're like, look at Oh, you tried so hard. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I tried so hard. Honestly, <laughs> I tried so hard. Give dad some credit. You know, yeah. it's not complete for right? So, I know, but I do feel like that. No. Yeah, and that's, I think that's why it's hard for women to open up to other women. I think that can make it really hard in recovery because if, if you want to get a sponsor and you want it to be a woman, how do you then, I know that I never had a really positive or healthy experience having a, a interpersonal relationship with a woman, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird. Um, but it, but it's wonderful yeah. when you do, when yeah. you have somebody and it's empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I, and a lot of women say this, you know, I was never friends with women and I was mm-hmm. always with men. Men are easy. You don't yeah. have to be anything, you right. know, and, um, they don't go deep. You don't right. have to talk about anything deep. You can be anything you want to be. Yeah. And, um, you're not going to find out two weeks later that Joe was talking to Bill about what you said what and you judging said, yeah, you over your dinner that you made, you know? Yeah. 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 And um, with women, um, when you tear down those walls, that caddy part, yeah. and you can be friends with another woman, it's amazing because they fill a void mm-hmm. that, you know, I have a really good relationship with my husband and I love him, mm-hmm. um, but there's conversations we just can't have yeah. that just don't fill that certain right. spot. and having a female friend where, you know, I'll tell my husband about it. We'll have a nice conversation. I tell her about it. And we dissect she every word and every minute. And yeah. she, you know, validates me and mm-hmm. right on the right parts and, and gives me things to think about. And it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, but it's, it's hard to find. Yeah. Cause I think there's just so much societal pressure. Yeah. All the, the world um, has set women up to compete against one another constantly. Mm-hmm. We're constantly in competition with another woman over our looks, over mm-hmm. our weight, over our body type, over how much we exercise, over whether we do or don't. And even when you're saying, oh my gosh, there are some really just vitriolic, hateful um, people who 
want to judge other women on their parenting. And I think yeah. that's every kid is different. Every family is different. What works for one of my kids won't work for the other. I know. You know, even with their own family. Yeah. So I, how can I possibly tell someone? Oh yeah. my gosh. So how can I tell someone like, this is the only way to do it. This is, you should be doing this. I just don't, it's not for me. But yeah. That's the way that society has kind of set it up for mm-hmm. women. So we have, I think it's getting better. And I think because of these mm-hmm. podcasts, the, you know, social media, mm-hmm. however bad it can be on the yeah. other side, it's letting people privately mm-hmm. observe and, you know, watch stuff yeah. that you wouldn't normally and get a chance to form their own opinions and conclusions without judgment. It's important. And that's the thing. I mean, it's always, it's just so important to talk about stuff and destigmatize something. Yeah. It automatically, you take its power away, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm a big fan of talking about everything. My poor kids. I know. <laughs> That's what um, my husband always says too. <laughs> my poor kids. What do you, for you? What's the best thing, or what? What kind of like superpowers almost do you think you've gained from your experience in recovery that have, have given you an edge in parenting, or or made your parenting experience more meaningful? Um, I feel like my eyes have been open. Like, um, one thing is, um as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, like mm-hmm. my kids will never see me drunk. Right. And it's, is having them see you drunk the worst thing? No, but where I go when I'm drunk, mm-hmm. it's a bad thing. It could be, it could be uncomfortable. And so, um, this would be interesting. If you could go back and change history so mm-hmm. that you never were an alcoholic, mm-hmm. would you, you know, if you could drink and no one would know yeah. and get away with it, would you? I mean, yeah. it's not like really, yeah, yeah that was a really good question. I know, because I was like, oh, I don't know. And, um, and it's a really hard to answer when I go back and change it because there's, there's a part of me that would be like, yeah, because I could have done so much yeah. more in my twenties than yeah. what I did. Um, and I had a lot of fun, but I didn't, I didn't, yeah, <laughs> I didn't accomplish yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I think about that, but like talking about the greatest gift as everybody says, you know, if you didn't go through your struggles, mm-hmm. then who would you be? And right. it's like, it opened up my eyes so much. And so I feel like as a mom, one, because I started later, cause I was too busy in my twenties doing right. all that stuff. I started later as a mom, but I have so much more patience. I think that I yeah. ever would have had right. without it. Yeah. And, um, and I think just appreciation, like, um, I realize how fleeting the moments are. Mm-hmm. And so even when it's exhausting and stuff, I'll go to kiss my one son goodnight and he wants to read and it's not just read. He's very yeah. specific. We have to read the same book. We have to start at the beginning. Yeah. And I'm like, well, but I want to know what happens in the middle. Well, no, he wants to start at the beginning because yeah. that's what we do every night and it's exhausting and I'm tired and yeah. we've gone all day. And there's some days I say, I can't tonight, but yeah. you know, I just, I just can't, can't but most of the time, I think I can't. <laughs> and he'll say, can you read to me? And I just think, you know, I don't know when the last time's going to be. And so I'll lay down and, you know, five, seven minutes probably yeah. tops. It's yeah. not even that long. And I can like stop them. Yeah. And I feel like being younger, less experienced, not having recovery under my belt, mm-hmm. I, it would be much easier to just be like, you know, I can't do that, you yeah. know, and just kind of dismiss it. And I feel like I'm really soaking it up and appreciating it. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to because I don't have all those demons and things going on right. in my head that would be taking me away yeah. from it. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I feel like that's a superpower because, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people have 
whether they're alcoholic or not. They have those demons yeah. in their head. And that, that it's constant. just constant. It's like a big tangled ball of like 15 different kinds of yarn. And, yeah. and it just is all day long for me anyways. My mind is just constantly pulling on these threads of yarn, like rosary beads, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I just can't stop it. Just, yeah. For so to too. even stop that process and be more present, it, when I'm able to do that, it's so good for all of us. Yeah. So. Then you probably notice the difference in the yeah, kids, oh, like how they connect and absolutely. yeah, yeah. Because every time I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on with these kids. They're insane. Yeah. Most of the time, I mean, a lot of it's screen time, but that's right. because I'm in my head right. or I'm trying to do right. stuff I want to do, um, or I'm not focusing on them for a while, yeah. and they can tell. Oh yeah. And they just keep poking, 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 poking. They're gonna get that attention, whether it's negative or positive. One way or another. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Did you want to talk about the Facebook group at all? Or did you want to talk about um, any kind of differences for you or how your recovery affects um, parenting with special needs? Um, well, um, so I have the Facebook page. I started the Warren County Special Connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it because it's specifically similar to what you're doing with mm-hmm. the podcast, yeah. about kind of getting moms together. Yeah. I felt so alone. Um mm-hmm. You know, so here I am, you know, the whole alcoholism yeah. thing. I'm already feeling a little set apart from, from the yeah. average mom. And then here come my kids and they're wonderful and, and everything's going on fine. And then autism comes in the mix. And when they were little, it was hard enough yeah. because there were um, meltdowns and stuff like that. But we still have play groups and, you know, a two-year-old is a two-year-old. You yeah. know, they might be a little more immature, but, you know, the talking isn't factored in. Yeah. The, you know, they might have meltdowns that other kids don't, but there's... There's not the the as kids at least with my kids with autism get older the differences become more and more apparent and um I've been lucky to meet many people and I think that this is in most case people are welcoming and they yeah. want to be supportive yeah um but it's different you're different the way you're yeah. parenting is different the yeah. kids are different and it's uncomfortable yeah. and even though I'm very open about talking about it and right. I like to talk yeah. about it when you're sitting in a room with other people and they're all talking about their kids. And all these different experiences and everyone's nodding and they understand and you don't understand yeah. at all. Like you don't, your kid doesn't rationalize like that. Your yeah. kid doesn't do that. You can't go to those same places. You know, right. they're like, oh, we're all going out to dinner. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking like, that's cute. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, like for a couple hours, yeah, we just bring crayons and stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, everyone's going to be eating them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at seven. Um, and so anyway, I, I started to feel this growing gap with me. Yeah. And, I was so, because I had, actually, this is interesting, because I had been in recovery, because I had had these meetings, mm-hmm. women's in recovery, mm-hmm. who kind of took me by the hand and were like, this is how you can live a different way. Yeah. I didn't have that with autism. So here right. I am parenting these two kids. They have autism. Yeah. And unfortunate, they're not, it's not debilitating. Right. You know, you can look at them and think, oh, you know, regular normal kids. Yeah. And then they do things and I'll see people kind of, <laughs> like, you know, it's not readily noticeable, but something's amiss. People who have like um, immune disorders or you know invisible yes, issues, yes. invisible pain issues, it you feel almost like you're insane. Yes, your yeah. reality is not right, and everyone else because you look fine. Yeah, so, yeah, you should be fine. So what's going on? Yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, you're going to talk about that again. You know. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that's it with the kids where. Um, I just felt on an island by myself. Yeah. And when I would try to talk, you know, um, because they seem fine, you know, people would want to reassure me. Yeah. Oh, he's fine. Yeah. He's doing fine. You and know, and it's like, 
but he's not. Like yeah. there's there's you know debilitating issues going on with him. He's healthy. They're both healthy, right. and I'm grateful for that. But um, so I felt really alone, and I thought, why can't there be a support group or a place where people can go and say, my kids were young with autism, and this is what I did, or they can laugh at you when you talk about your kid like licking the goalpost in a soccer game. When everyone else is playing, where's your kid? That's mine. You That's know, he's licking a goalpost. Yeah, you just like. <laughs> <laughs> that was, there's always something. Yeah, certain, we, go, we went through a certain age where it didn't matter. We just we had to put our tongue on it. I, it's so like, disgusting. I know. You're just like, you won't eat anything. So I had worked with a couple other um, therapists. A rehab works and we decided to start like a um a parent support group mm-hmm. and so we started doing that like they had quarterly meetings and and then i started this facebook page just mm-hmm. to let people know about it and as with anything it became a lot of work yeah. um it's very very hard to start up yeah. in person yeah um meetings like to get someone to just be like, oh, I'll go and hang out with I'm comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. And my kids, you know, and, and I'm going to go to this group. Where I have to keep, yeah. yeah. And um, and so it's really hard. And so we would have meetings and, you know, not that many people show up. You know, it needs to be consistent. Yeah. And um, and there's some other ladies that are doing it now with the Heroes Group. Yeah. And there's yeah. different groups going on now where they've, they've invested themselves. Mm-hmm. And they do meeting after meeting after meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, which is wonderful. And so with me, it just kind of died out. It was like so much work, so much. Um, and, but the good thing is, is what stayed with yeah. the Warren County Special Connections page. Yeah. And I think that it's great. And we called it Special Connections because it's everybody between parents, um, caregivers, uh, people that work, you know, OT, speech yeah. service providers, um, and they're all in it. And it's just a resource where we can say, um, hey, this is going on. This yeah. is going on. Like the women with the heroes group, we right. can we can say what they're doing, and they're doing a bunch of sensory friendly stuff yeah. in the community. Um, but the other thing that's great is it's a way where you can find people that are because you can look at yeah. the numbers and you can see, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't realize like yeah. they're in there, and you can connect safely, privately. Yeah. You know, like there's people that have connected. I don't even know. They yeah. don't post on the page, but right. they they start talking yeah. um, privately, and I think that that's wonderful because it's it's less in your face, oh, I have to go and right. meet someone face-to-face. Right. We can kind of talk. And um, I can find the people who can share my experiences and who can be beneficial for me. Yeah. We can do our own thing. And yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it's so important to find your tribe, find your community, and whoever it is that's going to be able to empathize with your yeah. situation. Yeah. And that can be hard to find sometimes. And that's part of the reason I wanted to do this. Like, I wanted a project. I wanted a writing project. But I didn't feel like writing was really the medium I wanted. But I do, at the end of the day, I wanted someone to tune in and say oh my god I feel better now yeah I feel like yeah. I just had a you know a coffee date with a friend mm-hmm. you know because those types of experiences are so healing yeah yeah it is we feel I think if I know even when you read on um, Facebook or you read you know you read one of those articles and it's dead on something yeah. that you've been feeling you don't know this person yeah. but if they wrote it they yeah. must have felt it and yeah. so you're like ah We may not be able to undo our pasts, but we can learn from them. What used to hold us back may have come to define us, but it doesn't have to continue to do so. If we work actively toward our own recovery, whatever our issues may be, 
we might find that like Emily's, our lives have transformed over a short period of time without our even realizing it. If you liked what you heard, come back next week for a new episode. And in the meantime, share this episode with a friend you think might like it too. The music for this podcast was written and produced by my father, Bob Gross, on a goddamn electric ukulele. I'm Stacy Gross, and this has been Two Moms Day Drinking. See you next week.